Expect the unexpected. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth. She's alone, she's lonely, she's hurting. She's had a miserable life as we're going to see. And here she is, but there is Jesus. What a picture of God's grace and mercy. And it's amazing how and when God does it. When you least expect it, here it comes. God is always reaching out at every opportune time to reach out to sinners. Always thank God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. A hot day and two people at a water well. One asks the other for a drink. Now on the surface, it may seem like a mundane question from a nothing-out-of-the-ordinary scene, but this simple request by Jesus opened a door to a spiritual conversation with a woman that led all the way to the conversion of her soul. In fact, there's many simple truths that our teacher, Pastor Xavier, draws from in this study from the Gospel of John, Chapter 4. The story of the Samaritan woman provides for us, very simply, how Jesus saved her. It's a step-by-step process, and it's amazing how that parallel runs in everybody's life who the Lord saves. Let me read it for you, and I'll give you the different points. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, his destination was Galilee, but his route is through Samaria. Now, Why did he have to go through Samaria? Number one, he knew the Samaritan woman would be there. This was her appointed time. Now notice Jesus arrived at the sixth hour at the well. It's the time when women aren't there to draw water. She's coming alone. Why? Because she's a woman of a bad reputation. The other women wouldn't dare give her the time of day. So she's alone. She's lonely. She's hurting. She's had a miserable life as we're going to see. And here she is, but there is Jesus. What a picture of God's grace and mercy. And you know Jesus has saved people when they've least expected. You perhaps are a witness of that or maybe others that you know about where they, they just went somewhere. They were going to go out and, you know, really have a great time this weekend. Boy, they had it planned out and they were had this babe waiting, this and that, and they go and all of a sudden, you know, they got saved. And it, it's amazing how, how and when God does it. When you least expect it, here it comes. No one gets up in the morning and says, well, I I think I'll get saved today. (laughs) We just don't do that. God is always reaching out at every opportune time to reach out to sinners. Always, thank God. Notice, secondly, verses 7 down to 18, that the second thing we see is that he saved her by seeking out confession of sin. This is very important. In verse 7 through 9, Jesus is the initiator of the conversation, as always. God always initiates. In verse 7, Jesus asks her if she would give him to drink. And notice how she responds in two ways in verse 9. First, she was surprised at his request being a Jew. Possibly his speech gave him away, unless he had some type of dress that gave him away. But she was surprised, stunned. Now, this woman's been around the block a couple of times. I'm sure she's real sarcastic. For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. How interesting. That's all of us, our biases. 
were tainted one way or the other. Notice secondly, verses 10 through 12, Jesus attempts to show the woman her spiritual need. He begins the conversation for what? First, to show her spiritual need. That's God's purpose all the time. If you knew the gift of God. She did know the gift of God, namely what? Salvation. She thought she was saved, but she didn't have salvation. She didn't know the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you, give me to drink, you would ask him. He would have given you living waters, he says. You would ask him. If you know who you're talking to, you would ask him. He would have given them to you. Jesus is speaking about the Spirit of God that abides in us when we're born again. She didn't have it. She was blind to the things of God. Now, in verse 11, she is respectful and calls him sir. But notice also that she cannot see from where he will get the living waters. Since the well is deep, about 100 feet deep, and he has nothing to draw. Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You see, the Samaritans, they claim their inheritance and their heritage through Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. For she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? And again, here is the contrast that goes on. Jesus is talking about living water. She's talking about the well. He's, he's attempted to show her her spiritual need. Now he attempts to show her the emptiness of earthly things. In verse 13, Jesus declares the temporal satisfaction of the earthly water. Whoever drinks of this water shall or will thirst again. Notice Jesus declares in verse 14, the first portion, the permanent satisfaction of the water he gives. Whoever drinks of this water that I shall give will never thirst again. What a contrast. And then in the same verse, Jesus declares the inner resource that would bubble up into eternal life from within the person who receives this living water. So he not only contrasts the water, but he says the source is from within. Now notice, in verse 15, she could only see the physical immediate benefit of not having to come and draw water. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So many people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and the only thing they have in mind is, well, will he get me out of my bills? Well, will he get my wife back? Will he take this drug habit away? And the first thing people have in mind is, what can God do for me? As if God owes us. Now, God is willing, but our mentality and our attitude is wrong. Many people only use God for their benefit, for their time, for their need. And once God does certain things, they leave. They're users. Now having brought her this far, now he puts his finger on the heart of her life. In verse 16, Jesus reveals her present sin to move her towards repentance by confessing her sin. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. She confesses her sin by acknowledging that she has no husband. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. So Jesus acknowledges her confession. You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you are now living with is not your husband. 
and that you spoke truly. Jesus desires to reveal each of our sin, that we might confess it, that we might receive forgiveness, that we might forsake it. But he's, he's very personal. He's gone out of his way to go through Samaria because he knew this woman was going to be there. That's the God we serve. God is always seeking man that he might confess his sin. Notice thirdly that he saved this woman by accepting him as Messiah, verses 19 through 26. First in verse 19, Jesus acknowledged as a prophet. She acknowledges him as a prophet. After he has revealed this, says, the woman says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, he began first just as a Jew in verse 9. He's been addressed, sir, three times, verse 11, verse 15, and here in verse 19. And now all of a sudden, he is a prophet. He now is one who God speaks to and through a prophet. He's come a long ways in a short time. And that's how Jesus works in your heart. He brings you along a step at a time. Notice, secondly, in verse 20 through 24, that Jesus removes her religious confidence. See, once you expose people, then they throw up all their, their garb, all their the decoy and, and everything else. In verse 20, she puts Jesus to the test as God's prophet. Who is right in the controversy of the place of worship, the Samaritans or the Jews? Our fathers worship on this mountain, and the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. So she does two things, puts him to the test and throws up a religious front. Isn't it? You talk to people, and they're like, oh, I go to church right away. Oh, yeah, God bless you, and um, God helps those who help themselves. Oh, really? <laughs> Remember, the rival temple had been erected in Mount Gerizim by permission of Alexander the Great and dedicated to the god Zeus through the Hellenization in 409 B.C. They declared, the Samaritans declared that Abraham had offered Isaac on that mount, Mount Gerizim. They also said that Abraham met Melchizedek there. Now, all these things are fabrications. If you know about Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, they are the mountains of blessings and cursings once they entered the land. You get that in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. But they had switched the mountains. Now, Gerizim was the blessing. Ebal was the cursings. But the altar and the plates were put on Ebal. And they, some stood on one, some on the other, and in between the valley where the site is here, the blessings and cursings were pronounced. They had distorted the scriptures. Now, notice in verse 21, Jesus declares an appointed time when earthly localities will cease to be the center of worship. Notice Jesus says in verse 22, she worshiped what she did not know. Do you notice a lot of people worshiping what they don't know? And they declare they're worshiping God. And then he says that the Jews worship what they did know. For salvation is of the Jew, and he includes himself as one of the Jews who knows the true worship of God. In effect, what is he saying? The Jews are right. I just answered your controversy. You're wrong. Does Jesus stop there? 
No. In verse 23 and 24, Jesus declares an invitation to worship God. Listen to him. He reveals that the time has come that all of mankind will and can worship God regardless of race. In the future and already present. Listen to the words. Is coming and now is. Kind of like the kingdom. It's present and yet to come, right? Is coming and now is. Notice also it is open to sincere worshipers. When true worshipers will worship. And then thirdly, it is a worship of the Father in spirit and in truth. For God seeks such to worship him. And therefore he proceeds to reveal the nature of God and the nature of worship in verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But notice it says God must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. Must, there's that word again. Absolute obligation, no exceptions. This is the second time the word must is found. Jesus must go through Samaria. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. What is meant by spirit? In spirit is meant my inner man. I am body, soul, and spirit, but the real me is spirit. And my body is just an agency for you to know and to communicate. My soul is comprised of my intellect, my emotions, and my will. And they get manifested through my body. When I'm happy, you can note it by my body. When I'm sad, you know it by my body. But the real me is spirit, and so is you. So God desires us to worship him in spirit. Now, how is my spirit able to worship God? Only as the Holy Spirit regenerates me, as the Holy Spirit makes me born again, and he turns on the light of my life, and he gives me new life, that living water. Apart from that, my spirit is dead. And then my worship becomes aligned with truth, the word of God. Notice, fourthly, here in verse 25 through 26, that Jesus reveals himself to her as Messiah now. I mean, he's got her. He's brought her so far. And here it is again. See, you never tell anybody about God without giving them an invitation. You don't tell, well, look at this water, so good, so delicious. And you offer it to him. Look at verse 25. She confesses her belief in the coming of the Messiah. She says, the woman said to her, I know the Messiah is coming, who is the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She concurs that the Messiah is coming. She believes in that. But real politely, what is she telling Jesus? I don't really think you're right about your answer. I don't think the Jews are right. But when the Messiah comes, he'll tell me. <laughs> Very politely, she's saying, I don't accept your answer. Jesus declares to her, I who speak to you am he. Blew her away. Point blank. Only one person is referred to, Ego Amy. And that's God. Exodus 3.14, he spoke out of the burning bush. Jesus uses this constantly of himself. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. Before Abraham was, I am, John 8.58. Only the Holy Spirit can bring light and conviction to us to accept Christ Jesus the Messiah. Only the Holy Spirit, not man's persuasion. Only the individual can accept or reject him as Messiah. It is a personal choice and a personal responsibility. No one can make that choice. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, John told us already in John three seventeen. 
God sent the Son to save you, not to condemn you. Now, fourth and last, notice verse 27 to 42. Jesus saves this woman by using her as his instrument. In verse 27 through 30, the woman goes and tells others about Jesus. First in verse 27, the disciples are returning, marveling that Jesus is talking to the woman. So they're dumbfounded. But then in verse 28 through 30, the woman left her water pot, went into the city, and went to speak directly to the who? Women? No, the men. The men knew her. The men knew all about her. Men always know about women like her. They exalt themselves over women like her. You see, they were well acquainted with her reputation. She told them of Jesus who told her all she ever did. Can you imagine walking into the, I mean, this woman like that, and, and, and she says, you know, I, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. I can imagine one of the guys saying, well, I can tell you all that. She caught their attention by saying, could this be the Messiah? She didn't say he was. Why did she put it that way? So that each man would have to make that decision all on their own. You've got to investigate it. And so they came out of the city and they came to Jesus. Now we have an interlude between that. Verse 31 through 38 now, the disciples are taught about the work of the Father. The disciples are in the same condition to an extent as the woman. They're concerned with physical things. They don't see spiritual things. Look at verse 31 through 34. The work is concerned with people, not self. The disciples were concerned with the physical, temporal things as the woman of Samaria. They're asking Jesus to eat. Now, is there anything wrong with food? No, but that's all they're preoccupied with. They're not even seeing this lost woman. All they're seeing, she's a Samaritan. They're as bad off as her. Verse 32, Jesus declared that he had food which they knew nothing about. They start scratching their head. The disciples tried to figure out, did somebody bring him some food to eat in verse 33? And Jesus plainly declares to them that his food was to do the will of the Father who sent him and to finish the work, verse 34. Point blank. He takes this opportunity to what? Disciple his disciples. To teach them the priority of the kingdom. Verse 35 through 38, the work is the harvest of people, he says. In verse 35, he says literally, don't be procrastinators. The harvest is ready. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? It's December at this time. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are ready white for harvest. I can imagine he's pointing the fingers as all the Samaritans are coming out. There's the true harvest. And he points to them exactly what the goal of the kingdom is. The harvest involves people's eternal life which should cause great joy both to the sower and to the reaper, verse 36 tells them. And then in verse 37 38, the disciples were sent out to the harvest. Jesus says it. For in this, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into the labor. Who? John the Baptist and the prophets. Some sow, some water. Some reap. But it's God who gives the increase, right? Paul tells us in Corinthians. God uses us sometimes to minister, sometimes to, to bring in some people to the Lord. But it is God who gives the increase. None of us save anybody. We're just instruments of God. And so he's teaching his disciples a very simple principle. But notice thirdly that in verse 39 through 42, the Samaritans received 
salvation. Verse 39, many believed due to the words of the woman. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because the words of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. God uses people. That's just the way he does it. He could have used angels. He doesn't. He uses people. You know, Paul the Apostle, who was the fiercest enemy of the church, became an instrument to share Christ immediately after his conversion, just as the woman of Samaria. It is a key characteristic of one who was born again. You need to tell somebody. You just can't hold it in. Did he not say, out of our innermost beings would gush forth torrents of living water bubbling up, the living water? You are excited. You have come to know God. You have been forgiven. You have hope for the future. You can't keep your mouth shut. If you can, you're probably not born again. The joy of seeing others come to Christ is one of the greatest experiences in the entire world. Have you ever brought anybody to Christ? Have you ever shared your faith? Have you ever seen the expression on a person's face when they've confessed their sins and accepted Christ? There is nothing like it in the entire world. Nothing. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise, Proverbs 11.30. Hmm. God is always using those he saves as his instruments to reach out to others. Always. In 1929, J.C. Penney's, his business was highly unstable. And so he began to worry and became sleepless. He worried to the extreme that he contracted shingles. Real painful if you've ever known anybody who's contacted that. Into the hospital, Penny was given medicine, tranquilizers, and they didn't help him. Uh, he still worried about his business. One night he felt that he would die before morning, and so he started to write letters to his uh, wife, farewell letters, and his son and his friends. But by the next morning, as he was lying on the bed, he heard singing from the hospital chapel next door. Quote, no matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. That's all he heard. Suddenly, he leaped up thinking, it is real. God loves and cares for me. In no time, he had jumped out of bed, entered the chapel, and when the miracle took place in his soul, as if it were a little bird, suddenly freed to fly out of the dungeon into the sunlight from hell to paradise. And if you know anything about J.C. Penney's and his life, what happened from that point on, you're amazed only God can do it. The story of J.C. Penney's is no different than the woman of Samaria. And it is no different than your story here today. God has brought you here to save you. First, by reaching out to you at this appointed time. Secondly, by seeking out your confession of sin. And thirdly, by accepting Him as Lord and Savior. And fourthly, by using you as His instrument as He saves you. But only you can make that choice, no one else. I pray you open your heart. Pastor Xavier Reese, closing today's program with the simple truth that the living water offered a Samaritan woman at a well 2,000 years ago 
is the same living water still flowing for thirsty souls today. And with that, Pastor Xavier concludes this message entitled, God is not willing that any should perish. Now you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And if what you've heard has posed a specific challenge in your own walk, maybe your own CD would be helpful for further personal study. In fact, there's more content to the message than time allows us to present on the air. And then you'll also be able to listen and make notes at your own pace. Plus, having your own copy makes it convenient to pass along to others. Mention today's date, or the title once again is, God is not willing that any should perish. And we'd be happy to pass one along to you for just $4. You can address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And when you contact us, it really helps for us to know the call letters of the station you're listening to. So we appreciate your help very much. Next time on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier brings us the story of another hurting soul, this time next to a pool that caused quite a stir. Hope you can be along. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com